Welcome back to 20 Good Minutes, a 20 Good Minutes that I'm going to actually have to rush to publish, which I don't know about you, but I'm kind of concerned that I will I will forget to publish this in time. Oh, I'm, I'm confident you'll forget to publish it in time. You know, not, never mind worried about it. Confident you will. Um, yeah, <sighs> it, it's, it's because there's been some big events in the footballing world. Um, he's Zealand. I'm Ben. I just thought to take over. Uh, yeah, it's the Champions League. It happened. The Champions League final happened. Did you watch it, Zealand? Of course, of course I watched it. <laughs> uh, of course I watched it. Look, sometimes I actually, yeah, I probably didn't watch complete match in the Champions League semifinal. That, that's my dirty little secret. But I did, of course, I sat down with my Chipotle and some Oreos and I watched it on Discord with a few guys and it was... Not what I expected. Apparently, it was what you expected, though. I it was, yeah, it was. I, I spoke about it in the afternoon. I did a stream and talked about what I expected the the, the play to be like, the score. I even got the score right, um, and Chelsea won one one nil. What was the biggest surprise for you then? You, you said it shocked you. What was the biggest surprise? Even when Manchester City loses, they control the tempo of the game better. Now they they kind of did this in the second half, but they were busy panicking and just like sending the ball in from too far out because they don't really have a pure forward uh, who can sit in the middle because they brought on... <laughs> I'm just laughing so... <laughs> Pep's substitutions were so bad in the second half. He was like, we're losing, let's bring on Fernandinho. I was like, come on. I, I kind of get it because you want Gundogan to move farther forward, but also, why? Uh, I that's not the point, though. The, the first half blew my mind because Man City just exhibited no control over the game. Like what they set out to try and do is control the game. It's it's you want to wear out your opponent mentally and physically. You want to have the ball, make them be positionally sound for, you know, 75% of the game. They have to worry about where they are and who they're looking for and how they're defending and who they're closing down and all that stuff. Man City just wasn't doing that. Chelsea could have had two or three goals in the first half if Timo Werner wasn't busy blocking his own shots. Like they were much much better than City in the first half. Could have put the game away, didn't, ended up winning anyways. The, the first half blew my mind. The second half, City was panicking, and that that's like, oh, City are bottlers or whatever. But the first half was really where Chelsea won the game and what surprised me so much. Yeah, it was so crucial for Chelsea. Obviously, Chelsea, if you have not seen it, uh, Chelsea won one nil. Uh, in a game where yeah, City were, were pretty impotent going forward. I thought if Chelsea could stay in the game for the first 30 minutes and not concede and let, let City get a confidence, because when City play with confidence, they are arguably the best team in the world, right? To get to a Champions League final, you kind of have to be close to that anyway. And Chelsea's ability to stay in the game, to, to, to be very comfortable actually playing a Manchester City side that is known for destroying teams, certainly with possession, right? And occasionally scoring, scoring a hat full of goals. It's a dreadful matchup for Manchester City stylistically Chelsea play with these three centre-backs that can kind of just sit there and allow Jorginho and, and Kante to try and intercept and the way in which City attack in wide areas is really confusing to me right the Fernandinho thing for me made sense but he should have started and then they could have changed it more like you can move Kevin De Bruyne further back why the Kevin De Bruyne as like 
false nine thing has become Pep's. I don't know. It's like he's like he's trying to showcase something that no one's ever seen before using a player like Kevin De Bruyne in that way. He is so good from deeper positions, playing longer range passes to forward players, and to, to sort of take that out of the team and then expect that from the likes of Bernardo Silva and and Phil Foden, who for me are better around the penalty area and don't have to do that sort of driving long range pass type of game. It, yeah, it's again, it's really frustrating to watch a Pep side that on paper should be so dominant in a game like this. Like in terms of the two teams, there is one better team here, and that team didn't win. The Champions League and didn't deserve to win the Champions League. Chelsea was so like there's such good value for their money, really. Like Kante ran the show. The whole team put in a really good shift. And the reality was they didn't actually have to try that hard. They didn't. Well, I, what here's what really impresses me. When you it, there's an adage in American sports and American football that if a team is good and you can't figure out why, it's the offensive line. If you don't understand American football, then that's fine. But I'm gonna use that adage kind of on on Chelsea. If a team is good and you can't figure out why, right? Like Chelsea was better than Man City and you can't figure out why it's the center backs. And what impressed me so much is that I had so little respect relative to the level of the players on Man City for a guy like Antonio Rudiger, a guy like mm -hmm. Andreas Christensen, and a guy like Cesar Azpilicueta, who I did not consider any of those three as like Champions League winning level center backs essentially all three yeah. of them you know Thiago Silva left early Christensen was in the majority of the game if any of those guys make a mental mistake something opens up right you, that's just what you don't see when you're watching the game is like if one of those guys makes a mistake or if they don't happen to track a run or they don't block one of those shots I mean they were all over the place making plays yeah. uh, like the, the way the way in which they interact as well the way in which they're able to shift across and, and to, to be that organized that's why that's why Thomas Tuchel deserves so much credit right because he's got to come in halfway through the season essentially changed the idea of how they're going to play not make them because i'm having them playing a little bit more offensively free and Tuchel said no we can, we can do that stuff but like if we start from the back and build our way out of that then teams better teams than us are always going to struggle and if you look at chelsea's results right against some of the sides where they struggle those are the games they're expected to win in the, the, those games that teams aren't as comfortable on the ball in and chelsea then not having the spaces to, to penetrate in as we saw where that's where their goal came from and, and you talk about Pulisic and you talk about Werner and Havertz and these players that thrive in space right City gave them so much space they basically said right we're going to camp in your half and we're going to leave our two centre-backs and I actually thought and I'm a, I'm a huge Guardiola fan I think some of the some of the criticism he gets of being a fraud or a bottle job or whatever right it's completely unfounded this is a black mark against his name but what he, but I thought it was arrogant by Guardiola to say right I've got these two centre-backs they're some of the best centre-backs in the world think how much credit Ruben Diaz has got over the past year and aside from the goal fair enough he was pretty good but what a gamble to play in a Champions League final when you've got the likes of Havertz you've got the likes of Werner running at you Mason Mount was absolutely fantastic in this game and and it's, it's so frustrating again I, I come back to it it's frustrating to see Guardiola not have more of a plan right as, as one of these managers that is held up in such high regard to not have more of a plan in a in the Champions League final something he's not won since he had Messi is uh yeah again very disappointing and I expect I think I went into it expecting so much more the whole Pep thing is is ridiculous. It's only the second final of any competition he's ever he's ever lost. I don't agree that he's a bad coach or a bottle job or any of that. He has an impossible job uh, in, in in for this reason because he has such a talented team that mm. if he loses, it is always his fault. Yeah. Right? Like he has two first teams 
at Man City. Like, like he's got basically 18 players that could start on a Champions League final level team. He has to pick an 11 out of that. And if he loses, then obviously he picked wrong because he should have just picked the other guys. So in terms of public relations, his job is very hard, right? Because winning a Champions League is incredibly difficult to do. It also requires a good bit of luck. Like Chelsea had one of the easier draws. It's not taking away from that. Like they deserve the Champions League. I'm not in the camp where people are like, but you know, they also like the Man City had to play Murderer's Row and Chelsea had to play like Porto in, in the quarterfinals. That's play Real Madrid. Real Madrid is, is a very impressive... Atletico as well, right? They didn't have an easy time, Chelsea. No, I, I'm saying it's easier. I mean, obviously, you're playing some of the best teams in the world. I was just saying that, like, you get Porto in the quarterfinal, right? And Real Madrid, I think, this year, worse than PSG. Right? So, like... It, it, but 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 this that that is kind of splitting hairs. I'm trying, what I'm trying to show is that there is a luck involved, obviously, in all sports, but especially in a knockout competition like this. I think what Pep does get wrong, though, is Tuchel understands a, a, kind of the same thing that I think Sir Alex Ferguson understood, someone that you love, Jurgen Klopp, understands the importance of energy in these mm. types of games. What you saw from Thomas Tuchel from the first moment somebody made a good play was they kept cutting to him, at least on the U.S. broadcast. And he was just like, firing up the fans, waving his arms up. I mean, like, for a season, and this is why probably Pep is so successful in seasons, that sort of energy does not matter as much because it's 38 no. games. You need to stay even keel, execute the game plan, use your talent, win games. In a final, which 90 minutes goes by like that, Thomas Tuchel was able to get his team so fired up to close down and to make plays where I think Pep has this thing where he kind of goes into himself in these moments and he, you know, he gets more inside of his head and he's drinking his water bottle every five seconds and he isn't firing. You, you yeah. can win that way, obviously. He has won. I'm just saying I think Tuchel's a better knockout tournament coach because he understands the importance of energy and momentum and so, like Klopp and like Sir Alex Ferguson. It's it's knowing when to use the calm and to use the energy, right? When... when... Well, you're, you're right, Tuchel does have it, and Klopp is the same. There's a moment for calm, and Chelsea spend a lot of that game completely calm like, and completely in control of the situation. You, you look at the impact, like Kevin, to be specific, right? Kevin De Bruyne played, was on the pitch for an hour. Kevin De Bruyne, this is, completed 16 passes of his 24 passes, 67% of his passes. Sterling next to him, 61% of his passes. Like, when the ball was getting there, it wasn't sticking. And when, like the irony, right? So we talk about the calmness that Tuchel has. When Pep steps out of his, his, his technical area and looks for that energy and looks the most way, it, it doesn't look like that. It looks like panic to me. It look, and I think that that then goes on to the players and they were slightly better in the second half and they had to be. They couldn't be much worse than they were in the first half. They didn't really have a choice in that sense, but it looks like panic in those circumstances. And I, what, what would have been absolutely fascinating to me and it's again it makes me so so much more annoyed that we didn't get a better version of Manchester City because Chelsea deserve it, but they didn't beat the best version of Manchester City, and that's partially on them forcing them to play a certain way, and that's that's again too short to have credit for that. But it's it's on it's on Pep at the same time. If Manchester City had scored, that's the thing that would have been fascinating. Twenty minutes to go, City get a goal. Could they have disrupted that flow of calm and energy from Chelsea and made them panic? Because that's what they had to do in the first half. I said, I said, I said it before the game started. I said, if 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 City can score early and they can make Chelsea think, 
wow, we have to do more than just be prepared to break because you get so few chances doing that. Like it, it's it's a system and it's a strategy that is completely valid in, in modern football, especially in those bigger games. But man, what a risk for Tuchel. Because what you're essentially saying is, this is how we don't lose. So you can't afford to you can't afford to concede, and that itself is enough to put a lot of pressure on a team, especially a defence, right, and a manager. When it comes down to it, if you lose a game like that, the pressure that comes on you of why don't you go for it? Why don't you attack City more? Why don't you put them under more pressure? All those questions get asked, and it was a perfect storm for Chelsea. And again, City have let themselves down massively with that. It, in a weird way, to me, it takes away a little bit from their, their their Premier League win, right? It's such an impressive league win, but even then, it like it. It's hard to say. It's different competitions. Uh, I don't, but, I don't think it, it takes will, away from that. But, but, but what it does is it shines a light on the on the flaws that Manchester City have. And it's similar to what... I think a lot of people thought Liverpool wouldn't be able to do the same thing they did the previous season because people would start to figure them out. And if next season we see lots of teams set up with this... Again, quality of player, of course, is a factor in this. But if you see teams start to sit back, soak up pressure and you speed to hit them on the break, that is something City will face a lot more next season. And their, their retaining of the title, it's very difficult to do for this reason, will be under a lot more pressure than it would have been in previous years because of this final. Again, blueprints are really important in football, right? Bielsa will, will, is, is someone that looks at this. He looks at how other teams deal with teams and then figures out how he can apply that to the own, his own system. And the pressure now on, on Guardiola goes so much bigger you think about every champions league game next season especially the knockout games the pressure that piles up on that team now is going to be astronomical in my opinion and for them to do some things next year will be so much more impressive than anything they achieved this year for me it's going to be it's going to be really interesting yeah a lot of ebbs and flows in that though i mean he's won the league before and then come back and won it again before and it's well, that's, that's what, what i mean it's very difficult to retain very what, difficult to retain what i think tactically tuchel did that impressed me well while i was watching the game i was like i've never seen anybody do this to city before is how many times do you watch man city and they just don't have somebody putting pressure on the center backs right they create this like shell of passing and it drives me crazy sometimes because i'm always like you need somebody in there driving the back line backwards right instead of mm. just passing it around but when you do that, it's so much easier to possess the ball because those two center backs are just not involved in the play because they've yeah. got no one to guard. They're just kind of standing there twiddling their thumbs while everybody else is trying to close down. What I saw, and I don't know if you notice this, it's like Antonio Rudiger would get near the center circle sometimes. And on, you know, on the other side, Espelicueta would do the same thing. It's like when they had no one to guard, like when De Bruyne had dropped in, or later in the game, I think Gabby Jesus, who hilarious yeah. that he got subbed in too, that he would like drop in and there's no pressure on the center of the defense. Since they got three center backs, one of them would just come flying forward to close down, like yeah. way up the field. And it was genius because there's no... That, that, that's the... That, just just on that though, that's what I mean. That he's been told that by Tuchel. That is, that is, that is coaching exactly. right there. That is, to, that is to be calm and that is to show energy in the right moments. And, that, and that's been a question mark over someone like Rudiger for ages. It's, it's so, that's what makes their defensive display so impressive. But you're, you're buying like, that's a really good point. Like, the fact you brought up an example there is, is brilliant. Yeah, it, it, there was one time where Rudiger basically surprised, I think it was like Bernardo Silva, won the ball. Where he was, yeah. <laughs> he turned around and all of a sudden a center back was next to him. I mean, 80, 90 yards from goal, way out there. When when Man City was in comfortable possession, one of the center backs would just come flying forward. Uh, and something else that was cool was late in the game, he used 
his two central midfielders in it was Kovacic and Conte were closing down right on the front line. So they built like a shell that I thought yeah. was fascinating. So you, instead of ha- relying on like whoever the center forward was over the last 30 minutes, it was Polisic for like 15 and Havertz for like 15. Instead of having them chase the center backs around, Kovacic and Conte were just up right next to him, depending on which side the ball was on. Like the way that he orchestrated the close down to keep Man City uncomfortable was probably the minutia that won him the game. Uh, Because they never, Man City just never got into that. There was never a 10-minute spell where the other team didn't touch the ball, and that's just what Man City does to you sometimes. Yeah, it was was so impressive. From the moment in which Christensen came on the pitch, um, I I think both uh, John Stones and Ruben Diaz had more passes completed than those three players put together in their back line. And the, the way in which they were able to, to sustain pressure up until a point, there's a, there's a heat map I tweeted out actually of City, especially in the first half, where they are, they're just sort of like getting to the edge of the D on the 18-yard line and then not going inside the penalty area at any point. And it, was, it just said to me, like the wall that was created, it was so, it, again, it was, it's really impressive to see it actually happen. And what was really interesting about this game tactically is it was really obvious to the point where, yes. like, I'm, I'm saying like I predicted what would happen. Loads of people did. Loads of people said, this is how Chelsea will play. And it's up to City to find a way to break it. And they couldn't. They could not find a way to do that. And I think doing certain things would have would have had a major impact, right? Raheem Sterling, massively out of form. Tell you who's not out of form, Phil Foden. Put him in an advanced area. Have De Bruyne be slightly, slightly deeper. Have a penetrative, a penetrative, a penetrative. Is that, I was close enough. Uh, yeah, uh, of point, of, point of attack with, with uh, Sergio Aguero, with Gabriel Jesus. It says a lot that he doesn't necessarily trust those players in the biggest game. And he'd rather play Kevin De Bruyne out of position in a position where he was completely ineffective. It's, it's such a shame to see. And again, De Bruyne obviously went off injured. He was oh. crying. I bet part, part of that would have been the disappointment of being substituted because of his injury. Part of that will be, I had no impact on this game. And that is the scariest thing. For a man that was said last season to be one of the best players in the world, right behind the likes of Ronaldo and Messi and whoever else, Kevin De Bruyne was right there last season. This year, he's been slightly more understated and in the biggest game of his, one of his biggest games of his career, you might argue the biggest game of his career, yeah. especially at club level, he's had no impact. Now, this is going to go two ways. Moving forward, right? What sort of team is Manchester City? Are they now a team that have got enough about them to fight back? Or are they, is this the sort of thing that haunts them for the rest of their careers? Like, it can go very much both ways. It happens to teams, even some of the best teams. Um, yeah, next year is going to be a treat, let's say that. Yeah, we don't, we, we don't know. I mean, like, if you ask all the players, obviously they're going to tell you that, yeah, yeah, we're going to bounce. You, you don't yeah. know. Uh, the, what, what I can say is that they'll probably be the most talented and expensive team in the Premier League and maybe in the Champions League next year as well. And so we'll see if that ends up being enough. I, the one thing we haven't yeah. talked about is, well, two different potential card incidents. One, on Havertz's goal, Ederson yeah. should have been sent off. And I think if he doesn't score, I think they do send him off. Well, is it, is it, he handles it just outside the area, yeah. right? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think it's one of those things where, because he gets the goal, Chelsea aren't that annoyed. City are like kind of, we were a goal down. Is that not enough? I don't know. It's one of those, it's one of those things that happens no, in football. I, and I like of... the fact that they, I, I don't know if this would be controversial or not. I like the fact they didn't send him off. Because yeah, I feel like in, in, in terms of officiating the flow of the game, right, you got the goal anyways. Okay, cool. Let's move. Like, you, you know, the, 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 honestly, the handball helped him. 
because Havertz's touch to get around the keeper was a rocket. It was going to be right. very difficult for him to get to it, and Ederson like knocked it down for him. Yeah, Havertz was looks a little bit Bambi on ice is a phrase that is used. Because you ever have you ever heard the phrase Bambi on ice? No, I haven't. But he he definitely had the uh, the gods of soccer, football, or whatever smiling down on him to have the keeper just. He didn't save yeah. it, right? But he he just deadened the touch so that it sat down right in front of him and he could put it away. Yeah, one of those moments. It's, uh, yeah, I, I equally like the fact that he wasn't sent off. I feel like, that, I don't know. By the letter of the law, maybe he should have been because he's, he's in theory, he's stopping a goal opportunity, but he didn't stop the opportunity. Yeah. So I guess it's fine. But the, the other one was uh, Roberto Martinez was on the US like post-game broadcast, right? It's like okay. Roberto Martinez, I think Micah Richards and somebody else and some uh, English lady who does a very good job. And I name, I cannot okay. remember for the life of me, but it, it's a great crew. And then you go to Roberto Martinez and he's like dour. And it's worth yeah. remembering that he manages the Belgian national team. So he's probably watching his star player. Like for the yeah. heroes get, you know, taken off with a broken face. He was saying that Rudiger should have been sent off for that play. And I've been torn on it because it's one of those things where at the time, nobody was really incensed about it. And I always feel like that has a huge part to play in like whether somebody's sent off or not is like how mad everybody gets and nobody was really mad about it but when you watch it in terms of just what happened in the play i mean he just plants his show i don't know if he's like try i'm sure he's not full-on intentionally trying to hit him in the face with his shoulder yeah but well, he does he doesn't have to get out of the way for me. He's like Kevin De Bruyne running. To him. <laughs> it's not. It's not up to Rudiger okay. to move out of the way. Like it's up to De Bruyne to move around him. He didn't move into him. That's the difference, right? I don't think he moved intentionally towards Kevin De Bruyne. That's where you, there's an argument for sending off, maybe because it's violent conduct at that point. But if Kevin De Bruyne is just flooding his face into the upper body of Antonio Rudiger, it's never going to go well for you. Like I don't know. First, I, I, as I, say, I think about him after this, probably quite frustrated. You know, <laughs> I was like, man, this guy just watched the, the you know, the, the talisman of the Belgian golden generation get knocked out a month before the Euros. And he did yeah, break his it, face, got confirmed this morning. He broke. Oh, yeah, uh, he did. Yeah. He fractured his orbital and broke his nose, I think, too. Yeah. Like, he should be fine. It'll, it'll probably look like Rudiger, ironically. He's going to have to <laughs> yeah. wear a mask. Like, it's kind of kind of perfect. Um, but no, he should, like, he, sh he should be fine. He'll probably play. Um, it's a big summer for Belgium as well. I'm sure we'll talk about the Euros in a, in a coming episode. Oh, absolutely we will. Right now we're going to talk about this break, yo! Welcome back. We actually, we're not just going to be taking breaks for our own sanity. We are going to have a sponsor at some point. I have been contacted uh, we are that cool. And Ben was surprised. I was almost offended that Ben was surprised. I was also surprised. Um, yeah, I mean, I get offered a lot of brand stuff. I'm just surprised people think you're brand friendly, considering you're... Uh, and I'll be honest, and I should reveal this, it's not Jaffa Cakes. And the fact it's not oh. Jaffa Cakes is absolutely... Is, someone contacts McVitie's on our behalf, please, and say there's this podcast that are big fans of Jaffa Cakes. Please. Um, in the yeah, freezer. If we can make that happen. I mean, get I'm looking forward the to the sponsor. But Sorry. In the freezer? In the freezer. Have you put Jaffa Cakes in the freezer? Yeah. Oh, I'm not doing this. It's just... Yeah, let's talk about who, who was good in the Champions League final. <laughs> I mean, we touched on most players. I knew Chelsea was going to have a good game when I was watching Jorginho, and I didn't hate it. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't, <laughs> like, good, but he was... He has a very particular set of skills, 
and he just you know he receives the ball he turns into space he passes the ball to somebody else he does nothing else he can't pass the ball more than 20 yards he can't defend he just he annoys the bejesus out of me but i didn't hate watching him yesterday so that's i knew that chelsea was having a good game right we talked about a lot of the players at least on man city that didn't have a good game and some of the guys like bernardo silva that you forgot were on the field but who is the best player in the entire game in your opinion I think there were four to pick oh, from. All okay. all Chelsea players. All Chelsea players. There's one that was stand out, but I think there were four that were very good. I thought Kai Havertz for the the size of the game that it was, I think people forget because he's been this like hotly rated wonder kid for a long time in football. People kind of expected at some point he to be this good. But actually, you think he's come from Leverkusen and he's had a pretty difficult time actually starting his career at Chelsea um, but again got the goal and was a constant threat in behind again his press was really important too uh, both fullbacks I thought were really good I think Reese James and Ben Chilwell both really impressive um, I think Chilwell probably doesn't get enough credit uh, because some of Manchester United fans in the media probably quite like the fact that Luke Shaw will be uh, featuring um, but I would say uh, N'Golo Kante was the guy he he was absolutely sensational I get a feeling you agree yeah I look I have never seen, ever, a ball-winning midfielder that is, like, so good at what they do. I mean, when you see the slow-mo replays of his tackles, it's just like, my God, that was perfect. Like, when you watch it in real time, you're like, oh, that was probably a foul. Like, there was one from behind where I was like, oh, he probably, he got the ball first. I'm like, how, how did, like, what witchcraft and wizardry just happened that you touched the ball before you touched him at all? You were directly behind him. Like, in, in, there were a couple plays in the second half. Like, Chelsea's entire game plan was Angolo wins the ball and then we break. And then Conte's yeah. like running forward and all of a sudden Polisic, Havertz, and like Mount for a little while. And then you know, sometimes Kovacic were just flying around. And that, like, Conte would win the ball and then the, everybody would just take off. It, that happened it, like three times in about 10 minutes where that was the entire game plan was Conte wins the ball and goes. Now, here's the here's the thing. I think he probably, you know, he'd like player of the match or whatever in terms of match ratings. I think Havertz was probably the second best player. It wasn't just the goal, which I, again, think he got a little fortunate that Edison knocked the ball down for him, but his control, his touches, his fight, like his ability to relieve pressure when he got the ball. He's just so clean. He's smooth yeah. with it, I think, if it's yeah. the way you would say. And and, and Reese James was really he was fantastic defensively. We didn't get to see yeah. any of that wicked crossing that he's like famous for, like the way he just throws his whole body into a cross every time. But he he played some really, really good defense. And the three the three of them, just on that, the three of them were just to highlight why they were so good, the three of them were so good in the duel, right? Whether it was aerially or it's on the ground. Uh Kante won seven of his eight uh, ground duels, Havertz won eight of his twelve. Again, not really a part of his play you expect. Uh, but the most amount of duels won was Reese James, who won ten of sixteen. You think about who he's up against on that side, like that that to me makes it so much more impressive. Again, like a first European final, all this sorts of thing. Like he's he's one of these players that is um destined for something in his England career but he's in the position where there are about five players that feel destined for something in his England <laughs> career so yeah but it was a standout performance I think Chelsea fans now think like it'd be crazy if you didn't go to the Euros but there's such good competition in there I just don't know it wouldn't be crazy at all if he missed out and I, that sounds that sounds kind of nuts but I had this con- the reason I'm ready to get into this I had this conversation during the game I'm like you know how crazy it is that England has like five of the ten best right backs in the world probably more than that probably six 
Like, <laughs> we've, got like, some, we've got some very highly, highly rated ones. Yeah, like, why, like what, what do you do in that situation? Like, Aaron Wan-Bissaka is the everyday starting right back for Manchester United. And this isn't like, you know, the Manchester United where they're Manchester United in name only. They're good. Yeah. And he's nowhere near the team. Right, like he's not even. <laughs> yeah. He's he's to the point where he's about to start playing for the DR Congo because he's just not going to play for England. Like that is crazy to me. That it's a, it's it's a, a whole that separate conversation, yeah. but that that is insane when you when you think about it that way. Yeah, and, and equally right, Reese James and Ben Chilwell have started in the Champions League final for Chelsea, and neither of them are likely to start the opening game of the Euros for England. Like, don't want Carl Walker's there, of course. Trent Alexander Arnold's there. Luke Shaw's had a good season, but. It's, yeah, it's crazy to think that those guys, even how pivotal they are, even Mason Mount, like it makes the England team seem really good. Even Mount's not like guaranteed to be starting come the opening game of the se- of the Euros for England. It's it makes our squad look really good. When actually, I think it's like just good. No, it's, it's very no, you're, you're lying. I don't. I know England tends to depress its own expectations and just go. I hope we don't suck and lose to Iceland. Oh, kind of. That, see, but we'll talk about England in a future podcast because that, that's that's only half true. But yeah, you're not you're not completely I, wrong. I, the end of the conversation I had was like, look, England's really good, <laughs> and if they're not really good right now, they will be. Like, in, like the yeah. English national team is there, but. Yes. Do you think then off of that, what we were actually talking about, which is N'Golo Conte being the best player, can you actually win the Ballon d'Or as a ball winner? Does that ever happen? If if, if Virgil van Dijk can be in contention, if Sergio Ramos over the years can be in contention, um, the big player that obviously never got it, but sort of played that kind of role was, was Busquets, never necessarily was in contention. I think for Kante now, Kante has got almost like, it's not known as the triple crown, but it's a bit like that in that he's won two Premier League titles, one one with Leicester. Um, He's won the World Cup. He's now won the Champions League. Like, if this isn't the season for him to win it, like Luka Modric won it, but obviously, of course, not a ball winner. If this isn't the year that he wins it, like, he's never going to win it. But what if France win the Euros as well? Like, if this isn't his time to do it, we might as well just concede he'll never do it then because it has to be now. Um... Uh, one thing I really like about Kante, everything you hear about him, and he should be in contention for these awards, is that um, he's really humble, is a girl like Kante. And you, you always hear nice stories of him doing nice things. But I like the idea that he's humble just purely because he's quite quiet. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. quiet. They're just humble. <laughs> They're immediately humble. Yeah. That he's not on Twitter, like retweeting himself, sort of you know, like going out to the shops or whatever. He's just, uh, yeah, he's just quite quiet, plays football. And, he, and, his, and his role is quite understated on the pitch as well. So people just assume, oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's humble, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Which he probably is. <laughs> he, but might, he, just, yeah. he could be taking these lavish vacations. I have no idea. Yeah, he could have a different pair of shoes for every day of the year for all I know. I have no idea because you never he doesn't talk much. Right. Everything you just said. And the other one I always hear is he drives this like beat up old car. I'm like, OK, he's not a car guy, but I, like he could. It, it is almost <laughs> funny to think about him buying like, you know, all these Gucci slippers and stuff to wear when he's like going to bed or something. I don't like he's just. Yeah. He's I like yeah, I love I like the idea that he knows. He knows he's not humble, but he's just happy. <laughs> sits in, sits on his gold throne at home as his as his three butlers sort out his dinner and he's just like, Yeah, I'm incredibly humble. I'm incredibly humble. <laughs> Jeeves. Jeeves, another another glass of champagne, please. Oh please. Yeah, yes. I do like it. Now if he wins the Euros, I think he has a shot. Like if you win the Euros oh, with Conte having a similar game the way he just did, I think he has a shot. 
As long, well, yeah, the thing mostly. is, Lewandowski also deserves the Lifetime Achievement Award, and he just broke Gerd Müller's record. Um, then, yeah. well, it'll be him Messi, or, it'll be, he's he's the he's the biggest rival to Kante, I think. Probably come the end of the season, it'll probably and, and, or unless England win the Euros and Harry Kane is scoring <laughs> ten goals, then it's probably that as well. Uh, well, it's, and then Kane, you know, he's kind of hurt, didn't have a great season in the league, so harder to give it to him. And then I, I think Messi, there's a little bit of the exhaustion of giving the award to Messi, but he's having an ab he had an absolute stormer. Like every all, time, every time, Freak. Yeah, like he just, you know, he scored like more goals than matches played almost through the back end of the, of, of La Liga, it, even though they choked it anyways. Uh, he still was fantastic. Apparently, Luis Suarez is the best player there. Uh, but Conte, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna like this. Conte is French, and we talked, wow. we talked, there you go. no one can accuse 20 good minutes of not doing their research, can they? Boom, Boom. <laughs> and we've talked a lot about. <laughs> What's it what you Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that was there great. You know that was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bonjour, everybody. It's time for the. It's welcome <clears throat> to French Corner. With <clears throat> ben. Uh, we, we. Uh, we've talked a lot about how PSG might lose the league. It would be we would be remiss if we did not mention on the back end now that the season is over, effectively with uh, with the Champions League ending, that PSG did lose the league to Lille. Which I think is hilarious. No, 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 no. Lil, Lil won the league. Let's not let's not say PSG lost the league. Let's say Lil won the league because they did. P PSG, oh, just a joke. Like I'm, I've never been more annoyed with PSG than I have this season because I watched more of them this year, and uh, yeah, they're a baffling football team. They're abso absolutely comical. But shout out to Lil for the few Lil fans that are listening. I know you're out there probably statistically. Um, congratulations, fantastic. Your manager is immediately Huge. gone to Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Which must be heartbreaking. I, I just can't believe that the guy is leaving for another team in the league that's just worse right now. I, yeah. I, well, that's it. yeah, the team that finished ninth. Um, in fairness, like, and no disrespect to the city of Lille, um, but Nice is wonderful. It's really nice. It's near Cannes, it's near Monaco. I can see why he's going. The family have gone. Um, but not amazing from them, really. Really impressive. No one expected it at the start of the year. I mean, for them to finish fourth would have been a good season for Lille, I feel like. So the fact they've won the league is, uh, yeah, always so impressive. Yeah, really good. A PSG, you're a disgrace. That's it's a brutal standard to set, though. When like, you lost the league by a point, you're a disgrace. No, it's no, you can't be PSG and be losing points, but you've got to be winning every every season by 15 points. If you if, if PSG had won it by a point, I'd be calling them a disgrace. <laughs> it's appalling. <laughs> It's appalling. You can't you can't be this like oil oil backed superpower of football and be losing league titles to Lille. You just can't. I'm not having it, and I'm not happy with them either. I'm not sure they care about my opinion, but I'm disgusted. So, I think I think you know. something that people point out from time to time is that PSG is just actually not as good as you assume that they are. They're not. They're really not. And that's what's annoying. I feel like I've been tricked. I spent I spent five years going. Tell you what, PSG, this could be their year in the Champions League. I watched them in the Champions League, not a chance. No, 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 no. They need to buy about four, five players this summer, which they may well do, but that's what they need if they're ever going to compete in like a serious level of this, in the Champions yeah, League. Yeah, they're just, they're just not... I mean, yeah, well, they've got the names, right? They've got Mbappe, they've got Neymar, and you're like, cool. Who the <laughs> hell else is on the team? <laughs> like, no, you know, no, their right I'm, back I'm, is loaned in from Roma. I'm like, who they've got... <laughs> Like what is this Florenti's guy doing? Right. Yeah, they've got that. They've got Navas is very good. Marcos is very good. Verratti on his days very good. Di Maria, well, right? Verratti's got... definitely was. He was a bit yeah. puffed up when they brought him in. And Rice is like always on these great teams, but 
I don't know how much he has to offer. I do I like Kaylor really Navas. Anyway. It's somebody that I have we have to play against in qualifying for everything all the time. <laughs> One, he's super annoying because he's really good. But yeah, he, is he is good. Close. I like I but you just their midfield. It was always just I'm like, who the hell? It's like Ander Herrera and Adresa Gay and like I think it yeah, oh man. They're good players. There's a thing wrong. They are good. They're good oh, players. Oh but, my but god! Yeah, they're not Champions League winning players, but they they set themselves up as like one of the superpowers in football. Yes, and they're and because they've got Neymar and Mbappe, and they've spent loads of money on having them, and have got spent loads of money on keeping them as well. You're tricked into thinking, oh, they must. All their other players must be of that level. No, they're not. They're not even like they're not they're even, even close. close. Again, I, I think Ander Herrera and Idrissa Gay and uh, Farah. Let's see. That's the midfield. Is those three guys, right? And so if you take those three guys and handed them to Pep Guardiola, I don't think any of those three guys are in the team. The Champions League final. Yeah, I mean, you look yeah, you look at the Champions League final. Do any of the central midfielders in PSG central midfield get into the get into either city? Get into either team. Yeah, I, I would, I would I mean, replace yeah, I would replace Jorginho with Verratti. That's the only change I'm making out of both midfield. <laughs> you hate Jorginho. I, I do. I'm, yeah. Like it's, it's allowed. So I'm not. He shaved his beard off as well. So <laughs> he said, if he won the Champions League, he'd shave his beard off. If a journalist shaves off their moustache, and that's happened. So we should do something like that. I don't know how, but you know, you should shave your chest hair, and I'll shave yeah, my no, you're, I'm way ahead beard of you. off. I'll shave a giant doctor into my into my chest. Oh, no, I mean, yeah, sure. If Jaffa Cakes ever sponsored the podcast, I think that's what we that's what I'd request. <laughs> Um, no, it's exciting stuff. Uh, not only did uh, PSG mess it up, uh, annoyingly for us, the old people's home of Juventus um, scraped Ugh. by the skin of their Gross. teeth. Uh, it's such a brilliant thing is as well, not only did they scrape in, it wasn't even because of anything they did. Napoli dropped points to Verona. Oh. And that was that was enough. Oh, all they had to do was beat Verona, who were like a mid-table side in Serie A, but hadn't won for four games or something. And then draw on the final day. All Napoli have got to do is win. And Juventus are in the mud. And, and because of the Super League, that's quite nice. Um, what, one thing I want to say about Serie we've not really talked about it. We've not given them credit, right? We've sort of focused on uh, Juventus. Atalanta, right, have finished third for three years in a row. Which, to begin with, really impressive. Like, uh, surprising. Inter Milan, over five years, have not only caught up to Juventus's like 30 point gap but have now extended their own gap over Juventus to 13 points um and Conte's left what is with managers <laughs> winning league titles Conte Conte wins Serie A did you see the thing where he dedicated it to himself I love he, that, that tell you what that is everything for me I love yeah. that no he, he went I would like to dedicate this Serie A to myself and then leaves yeah and that's you and wouldn't he, get Kante doing that let me tell you not not <laughs> publicly anyway not publicly N'Golo Kante he did, he did that privately though yeah I'm sure but... <laughs> Kante's walking around carrying the Champions League trophy wherever he goes everyone sees him oh that's nice isn't it he's probably he's probably been asked to do that <laughs> Go, like, just getting into clubs getting into wherever he wants <laughs> He's, in, he's in the back room of some club just pounding drinks out of the Champions League trophy. Like, <laughs> What's he doing back there? Just being incredibly humble. Yeah, he's just, he's just uh, you know, he, his teammates forced him to drink. You know, he's just... Yeah. Oh, I want to... Do you know what? I've realized I want 20 good minutes as a podcast to endorse the idea that Ngolo Kante is not Ab- humble at all. Absolutely. But he's um, actually one of the most arrogant men in all of football. <laughs> totally mine. 
But equally, so just to, just to set a precedent here, we are fully aware N'Golo Kante is like the nicest man in football. But from now on, no matter what we see N'Golo do, we have to assume it's done with the utmost yeah, arrogance. Yes, it's done yep. with, I mean, Neymar going to his sister's birthday level of arrogance. That's <laughs> okay, that's a segue. Uh, yes, but so Inter, Inter win the league, Milan comes second. Donnarumma's got to leave them as well. So much trouble. We're going to have to do a transfer <laughs> uh, episode at some point. Donnarumma's yeah. off. Uh, who knows what's happened to Ronaldo now? They've snuck into the Champions League. Napoli in disrepute. <laughs> Jose's at Roma. Ah, oh, and Parma finished bottom of the league. Absolute devastation for for me first. Yeah, it's, but, a real, um, it's a real shame. I hope they don't discontinue the cheese. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's up on the that's on the list. But as, as they go down, there's just there's just milkmaids everywhere. Yeah, milkmaids. I don't <laughs> know what, the, don't know the, what the, era we're in. Here, but... Laying off the cheese factory. Like, oh, I just can't keep you honest. <laughs> You just you see the bell go and they'll just walk out it's like oh no that's really it's really quite annoying um uh, they do ham i suspect in oh. i was as you but you brought up atalanta i just wanted to say one thing there are certain people that are running clubs that it just feels like they're actually playing football manager lester in the prem feels like they're just playing football manager like the way yeah. they're able to just build the club up and sustain it Atalanta feels like that in syria like they've just built this up yeah. and sustained it they had the run to the quarterfinal and they're just like they're they're just still here they're still good they still have yeah, players i love it i love it i, I want to see more of that I, I like seeing teams do things they're not supposed to and while we're on that the fact that atletico have won the league and luis suarez had a cry um was was magical so yeah really nice uh, lots of surprises in europe this uh this season i'm all for it Villarreal as well just you know to give them a little nod well done them First, uh, first major trophy ever, which was kind of a surprise to me. I thought they'd won <laughs> something before, right? Like I, yeah. Like I, uh, I think I mixed them up with like a Valencia, because I know Valencia like had won a bunch. Of, I was like, yeah, that's, like the first major trophy of all time. I'm like, really? Like Villarreal yeah. had never, not even a Copa del Rey or something. Like they'd never won <laughs> a major trophy before. And beating Manchester United, right? As like culturally beating Manchester United in the final as well is such a huge moment. Forget the Europa League for a minute. Like that's so big for a place and a, and a team like Villarreal. Absolutely love it. It's been a very romantic season, all things considered. Oh yeah. With everything that's going on in the world. It's been quite a lovely season, really. Leicester winning the FA Cup as well. Oh, I've enjoyed it. We Obviously, we started this podcast sort of halfway through. But next season, we get to be a lot more judgmental. So that's oh, exciting. absolutely. You know, we'll be laying picks mm. down and stuff and it's going to be painful. Uh, but I, I think I, I think we've milked the cow on this one. That's Ben. I'm Zeeland. See you next time.